everyone. Sean Simons, PPG Grandpa. Welcome back to another podcast. I know it's been a while. I've been glued to the CNN channel about this pandemic and I haven't flown. I haven't done nothing. I've been just sitting here with with the dog and now a cat uh, wondering if is it safe to go outside and is it okay to go fly? Well, you know what? I think it's definitely time to go fly. I sold the flat top and now I got a new motor, a Mine 19. I put on the Angel and I'm ready to go out. I think the first available halfway decent morning will be Friday, which is tomorrow morning and Sunday all day. So I'm gonna get some fresh air and sunshine and go fly. Today we got Nick. Nick Fazika, man, he knows a lot about a lot of things. We've been talking for the last couple of days and uh, we've talked about everything from Zello channels to Avgas to ADSB receivers and the cool and all the cool stuff in between when it comes to paramotors. Nick, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me on. No problem. Now, now tell tell us a little bit about all the cool things that you're into. I mean, you're into into amateur radio, antique motors, and all sorts of stuff. Give us a little rundown of what you do. I started young as a kid, uh, just tearing motors apart and kind of fell in love with the old uh, older style motors. Always wanted to have a hit and miss. And uh, after collecting Briggs engines for years, I went and got some hit and miss engines. Now it's become pretty much an obsession. I, every time I turn around, I find I have more of them. I don't know. They're breeding in the garage somehow. I think we're up to 130 engines on the property at the moment. Holy smokes. I'm also been, since I was 13, I've been a licensed amateur radio operator. Uh, for the past 26 years, I've held the same call sign, uh, KC8ORW. Say that really slow so so I can hear what, 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 what your call sign is. The call is KC8ORW, or as we do on the air, Kilowatt Charlie 8 Oscar Romeo Whiskey. And that's how we can find you on YouTube, right? Yep, it's under my call sign. Okay. And I have a mix of everything on there from paramotor flying to engine rebuild videos. I've got some stuff I'm starting to put out on amateur radio, some of the new digital modes we're playing with. I like to mix the channel up. I'm also a licensed drone pilot, so I put some pretty cool drone footage on there from time to time. Now, you also do Zello channels. Tell me a little bit about Zello and what that's all about. Now, Zello is a free PTT app that, uh, if you remember the days of Nextel, having the old push to talk on your phone, uh, that's basically what Zello has become. Uh, nice thing is it's cross-platform. So guys can have a Zello channel, and you can have the app on iPhone, Android, a Windows PC, Windows Phone, uh, it's a really good interconnect where, you know, a lot of times you're with Apple, you have FaceTime, you can only do certain things. This lets you do cross-platform and the fact that you can have thousands of people on one channel. You can, you know, share location, uh, which is really nice for you know, search and rescue work or even for repair motors, as I put it. If you happen to go down somewhere, if you have a whole bunch of guys on a chat group, you can mark the position where you went down and they can pull it up on their map and see right where you're at. Now, that'd be really good to have, like, a national uh, PPG chat or something. Uh, is that something that you're working on? Yes, we have, I've released two channels. I have a national PPG chat for just guys to get on general chit-chat and, to, you know, coordinate things. And then I have a national uh, chat just for pilots, and it's mainly for in the air. And that way, guys just, you know, shooting the breeze on one channel isn't keeping a pilot from communicating with his friends in the air. 
So in other words, I could be in Arkansas flying and I could chat with somebody in Washington, D.C. and Kansas and Texas all at the same time? Yep, in real time, even around the world. You could talk to someone in Argentina while in the air. That is cool. Now, how do we find this on, how do we get to it? Uh, just type, look at, do an app search on Zello, Z-E-L-L-O. Okay. And it'll say, it'll Zello PTT app, load the app. Uh, for a lot of the channels, you have to make sure you, you create your username and uh, put your email address and verify your account. Because a lot of the channels are actually locked in such a way that if you just have a regular Zelle account, you don't have your email address uh, verified on there, it won't let you on the channel. The same as the channels I created, uh, we have moderators on the channels. I'm, I'm going to make you one of the moderators. Uh, people can join the channel, they'll be able to listen. They have to get talk rights from a moderator. And that's just to kind of keep the, the riffraff out so we don't have, you know, non-pilots or people in there causing issues because someone if someone doesn't get vetted in the channel we give them talk rights if they don't behave and are keying over people or doing stuff they're not supposed to be we can remove them from the channel so this would be really good for all the uh, potential pilots ppg pilots in the future or even pg pilots that you know just want to hear what's going on around the united states and around the world but really don't want to talk but just kind of like listen to it, hear what's going on right yeah, they could, you know, anyone could come on and listen to the channel. We have no problem with that. We just, you know, if you want talk, just to be able to talk on the channel. I prefer, you know, like, the pilot's channel, I want only for pilots. And in the air, you know, ground and in the air when you're getting ready to take off, things like that. Uh, I've also created some channels for fly-ins, and every future fly-in we do, I'll create channels that, and I'll link, link them back to the master channel. Uh, we had one for Palm Bay fly-in this year. So, so, so the, so the uh, PPG uh, pilot channel, will people be able to listen to that channel also, but they just won't be able to talk, correct? Yes, they'll be able to listen to it. Oh, that'd be really cool to listen to, to pilots talk in the air. And then the other channel is, a, is just a general um, PPG channel that is like kind of a ground channel just for people in general to talk about or, or talk to. Yeah, if you guys just want to get on there and shoot the breeze and, you know. Send, I have it set up. You can send pictures back and forth to each other. Now, just remember that anything you put on, like if you're on that channel, if you load a picture on a channel, anyone that's on that channel can see those pictures. And it's arch and it's archived. It's archived. Yes, it's it's archived on there. And and uh, apparently last night I found out that you can record the uh, push to talk stuff too, right? Yes, everything on the push to talk. As long as you're you're on the channel, if you have the app open and you have that channel active, you can turn you you can have multiple channels on that Zello app. You can turn channels off, you know, on and off as you want to. As long as your channel's on, you can have the audio down on your device on your phone and just have it running in the background. And you can go back later and look and see everything that was talked about. You'll see every transmission. So you just click on it and just place them one after the other. Oh, that is really cool. So download Zello, Z-E-L-L-O, and then search for the channel PPG National Chat. Correct. Yes. And then the pilot one, you search for PPG pilot, or what's that What's that one called? I, uh, let me look it up here. Okay. I just got it going the other day, and now I don't remember what it is, which is a shame. I have so many channels on here. Well, I know that um, we were messing around with it um, yesterday, and it seemed like a really fun 
fun app. We got a couple of uh, people on there. Matter of fact, uh, everyone knows Sandor Rodensky, and he's actually on there, which is really cool. We got a couple of uh, uh, people that are well-known. Will Liddy, he's on there. Donald Johnson, he's on there. And, of course, you know, your very own PPG Grandpa's on there now, too. Yeah, the other one is uh, PPG Pilot Chat. And that's all in capitals? Does it make any difference? Yes, that's all in capitals. Okay, so PPG Pilot Chat is all in capitals. And then PPG National Chat, the only thing that's capital is the PPG and the N. Yes. All right. Um, so find us on there. And if you just want to listen to Pilots on the Ground, that's the national chat. And if you want to hear Pilots in the Air, that's the pilot chat. And if you're a pilot... Man, that sounds like a good one. Now, what are some of the cool things that you were talking about being a pilot, being up in the air? What are some of the features that Zello can do for us? Um, and why would we want to have this in the first place? Well, the, the biggest feature I like about it is the fact that you can send your motor out. You know, they're out away from you. One, you can talk to them. Two, you can send. I think I'm. I think I'm losing you for for a second. I think that one in you know general build a chat with you know whoever the interconnectability you know a lot of guys were using Cena's for a while which are nice you know setups but you have, all have to have the same Cena and you're limited to your range. With this, you're using your cell connection, so you can still use your Bluetooth headset and connect to each other, but you're actually using the the Zello app, so it takes that that boundary away for one thing. If you have a motor out and you go down, say you're flying with a group, you have a motor out, you have to go down, no one notices you. One, you can call them and tell them, and if they don't hear it right away, you can send your location and send a text message to them, and everybody on the group will see it. Plus, as this takes off, if we have guys just, you know, monitoring the chat, listening to it, someone in a different state could hear that you went down, see your location, maybe call to check on you. Or if you did have an accident, call the uh, proper authorities and be able to tell them exactly what position you're in. Now, that's really good having this national thing. But eventually, we're going to have um, each state is going to have a state chat. And then uh, eventually, all the major cities um, are going to have their own chat too, correct? Yes. And we can create channels for every state, you know, every little flying group that wants one. Oh, okay. So, like, um, we have the the Little Rock Flyer Group over here, you know, uh, for Central Arkansas. So we could actually have our own Little Rock Flyer chat. Yes, you can have your own channel. And we do that by, you know, getting up with you, or how does that work? Yeah, you could create your own channel. Uh, the one thing with Zello is, is they, if you don't pay for it, I have a paid account, so I can actually make channels over higher, a little bit higher priority. Uh, better off that way and i'll go ahead and create the channels i've got unlimited channels like i can do it like a couple thousand at the moment nice and or you know you can do you can actually create your own channel and moderate it yourself and set it up uh, i suggest people get a little bit in like use that and learn how it works and get with someone's used it before you try to create a channel and moderate it because it can become a real cluster for you to deal with yeah, just a little bit of uh, um, playing around with it with uh, with you last night. It was like, wow, I, I think I muted somebody and booted somebody off or something, and you had to go and fix it. Yeah, it, it, it's, it comes with using it. You'll get used to using it. It's not too bad. 
that's the thing I like with it because this is a channel that one thing priority traffic is going to take effect. Any moderator, if you have someone on there keying up, saying something they're not supposed to, you can shut them down. Okay. That's why I believe in having a lot of moderators on channels. So, you know, so you have a big fly and there's a bunch of guys talking, get someone in there just, you know, disrupting everyone. You can remove them from the channel so they can't talk and disrupt them anymore. Gotcha. But we don't have that in our in our group, in our PPG group nationally. There's nobody that ever does that. LOL. Not usually, but LOL. It's it's a nice feature to have. You know, you know being a, a ham operator, I love radios. I believe in using two meter radios for in air too. But you know, the biggest problem I see in that is a lot of people are buying these bowflung radios, which are junk to begin with. They don't have license. They don't realize the ramifications of operating a radio without a license. And a lot of them don't realize how easy it is to get their license either. Right. Ham operating is, how, how much does it cost to, to get your license, your basic? I think it's like $14 they charge now. Can't beat that, man. And I, and I got a book. I just need to read the book and go get my license. And what, it's uh, good for 10 years? Yeah, you renew it every 10 years. But you don't have to pay anything to renew it. It's a free renewal. Well, you definitely don't need. You can't beat that with a stick. Uh, is there anything else that we need to know about the the Zello and the channels and how to do it, or or getting up with you about it before we move on to our next topic? I am going to, in the next day or two, be releasing a, a video on YouTube uh, on these channels and how to set it up, and we'll have, actually have links. There'll be QR codes that'll come up on the show, so people will be able to just install the app, follow along with the video, and uh, get right on the channels. Okay, and y'all, when Nick does that, um, I'll have him uh, send me the video, and I'll upload it to the ppggrandpa.com so you can, you know, see it there also. Um, that's really awesome. I, I really, I really like that. I, I like the uh, possibility of being able to uh, to get up with people. And and my wife, you know, is like, um, you know, when I'm flying, at least she knows that if something comes up, whatever, and she can get up with me because, you know, she has, you know, Zillow on, on hers and she can hear what's going on too and know that I'm safe. Or if I go down, I can text a, a, a pin on a map and let everybody else know what happened. And she knows that, you know, I'm, I'm safe because I got a bunch of people around. Yeah, you, you know, it, it makes it a really nice platform to use. And uh, one of the things I want to cover, one reason I want to do the video is there's a lot of nice accessories you can use with this. Because, you know, your standard, you need your, your cell phone. Right. Or even a defunct cell phone if you can pass Wi-Fi to it. So if you want to have a secondary phone you, you run Zello on, mm -hmm. turn the Wi-Fi hotspot on your main phone, pass Wi-Fi, and you, you're, you're on Zello. Uh, I didn't even think about that. And you just put that on your flight deck. Yep. And then we have these nice little Bluetooth push buttons, which I'll have information on the video where you can get them. They're a, uh, a Bluetooth button to activate your phone for push to talk. So right around to pick your phone up to hold the button to use Zello, you strap this to your throttle to your cage, and when you want to talk, you just push on the button. I have an old uh, iPhone 4 that still works like a champ. Um, does the Zello work on the old iPhone 4s? Yes. Sweet. I will do that. I definitely need to. I think, th I think this is going to be neat. Uh, one of these days, I'll get a Bluetooth um, button like you're talking about, but until then, I think uh, just pushing my my push to talk on my app sounds like the best. One of the things that we talked about yesterday also was Avgas, the 87 octane, 93 octane, 
Um, and one of the things that I found out over the last six months is that I was using 87 no ethanol with K2 two cycle oil and uh, a, a splash of seafoam. And I had max RPMs. Now, I was also told, too, to try the 93 uh, octane. Even if it has ethanol, it's better for it. So I tried that, and my RPMs dropped. I mean, it just was sluggish and everything. Um, I was using K2, but I heard that um, that Sabre makes a really good two-stroke. And you know a lot about this. Tell me, why would I want to use Avgas over 87 or 93 with or without ethanol? And uh, why do you think that Sabre is a better um, two-stroke oil? When it comes to the gas, you know, any ethanol is bad. Uh, it tends to really just gum up carburetors. And a lot of the carburetors these days are not pure aluminum. They're a, a die cast. They got zinc in them. So the ethanol reacts with that, just really eats the carburetors out. And the other thing I found a lot is what you know is gasoline today is not gasoline anymore. It's 10 or 15% gasoline and about 90% other crap they throw in there. A lot of their petroleum distillates, a lot of which actually attack the rubber. And the ethanol does the same thing. The rubber diaphragms in our carburetors get hardened. So 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 getting so getting so getting um gas with non ethanol is not really good gas. You're, you're getting rid of the ethanol component, but there's still a lot of other components in the gas that are just not good for the carburetors and tend to gum up. And I always tell people if you really want to try a challenge, get you a, a, a couple quart jars, fill one half full of non ethanol gas, pull one through a regular gas, and fill one full of aviation gas. Close them up set them out on your front porch for about two months and look at how quickly the color changes on the gasoline and when you open up and check it you'll find that all the good aromatics that are actually flammable in the gasoline have pretty much evaporated away so i don't know much about gasoline and i'm thinking that a lot of people getting into this probably don't know but a bunch about gasoline either because you know you just put gas in your car and you go you know they maybe kind of understand about you know the uh, 87 you know or, or 85 um, percent ethanol which is the is the e85 um, we know that there's no ethanols and most of it has 10 percent ethanol so when the gas turns different colors from regular gas to um, 10% ethanol and maybe even E85. What does that all What does that all mean? A lot of its uh, components in the gasoline are actually oxidizing, and some of the more aromatic or you know uh, combustible stuff actually evaporates away. So the actual pure gasoline base, you know, the good explosive stuff that makes your engine run good, does evaporate away over time, and all the other components in the gas tend to oxidize. And create a varnish. And that's why they say don't keep gasoline in your paramotor or in jugs for more than six weeks? Yep. Because it becomes less combustible. It turns, it oxidizes, to make creates a varnish, and that's what gets inside and plugs up your jets and causes all kinds of nasty stuff to happen. So, so Avgas would be better, and if it is better, why would it be better than the other gas that we use? 
one thing out of gas is pure gasoline. There's nothing else in it except for a little tetraether lead. Handling it, you got to be a little careful because you have the lead in there. It's not going to kill you. People have been using it for 100 years. So this Avgas is basically regular gas that we had back in the 50s and 60s. Yes. Back back in the, in the 50s and 60s, you could buy what was called white gas. Or a lot of people know it. You know, today they have a, a semi-white gas, which is like Coleman fuel using your lanterns. Right. That is the same as what Avgas is, except for Avgas has the lead added. Now, why would you want it? Why would you want it? Why would you want to add lead to gas? It's actually used, uh, one, to control detonation, uh, which is, you know, the exploding under pressure in the cylinder. It raises the octane a little bit. And it also provides lubricant for the cylinder. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, lead was actually a lubricant. If you look at the older engines that had the hardened valve guides, you had to have lead to lubricate the valves. Oh, that's why they had leaded and unleaded back in the day. And that's why you have to have that's why you have to have a leaded um, additive for the older cars because that was that's a lubricant that's a actual lubricant. Yeah, they're adding a lubricant back into the fuel so you don't tear up the valve seats and the valve guides. Huh. That's really cool. I'm glad that we actually talked about this stuff. I had no no clue what's whatsoever. Yeah, one of the good experiments I always do because going to antique engine shows, I try to show guys the difference between using Raider gasoline and Avgas. I carry a small, you know, squirt bottle I use to refuel some of the smaller engines with. And one of the tricks I always like to do, I tell people, put their hand out. I squirt them with that little bit of gas gas on their hand. And tell them to smell it. Make them wait a minute or so. I says, try to smell it now. And you realize there's nothing left. It totally evaporates away. Where we all know if you touch Raider gasoline, you get a drop of it on you, you're going to smell like gas for the rest of the day. Okay, so what is that? So what is that? What is so, so that smell that I smelled uh, from regular car gas is what? It's all the other, you know, the lower petroleum distillates, the heavier oils that's still in the gasoline. That's all that nasty stuff that, you know, you get a little gas on you, the gas actually evaporates away, but all those deposits are still left. That stuff you're smelling, that's what's in your carburetor when the gas evaporates away or if you leave it in your fuel tank. If you ever had an old lawnmower and you left a little bit of gas in the bottom of it over the winter, you come back next spring, it looks all red and nasty and you usually can't get the thing to run that's why because all the good stuff evaporate away and all the nasty stuff's left behind just gumming everything up oh okay so let's say that you do use you know like in 87 um you know with ethanol even without ethanol at the end of the season pour a little bit of avgas in your um in your lawnmower let it run and it should be fine yep i, I store engines for four to five years at a time and uh, especially the old, old antique ones that we take the shows from time to time. We run them on Avgas. We turn off the fuel petcock, let them shut off, and uh, you can go back three, four years later. If it, all the gas hasn't evaporated out of the tank, you turn the fuel on and turn them over to the light right up. So what is that uh, fuel stabilizer that I've seen that you can add to fuel? What, what does that do? Believe it or not, you know, like stable and all those ones. Believe it or not, all those do is they create a film on top of the gasoline. They have an oil in there that's a little bit a little bit lighter than gasoline that floats on the top, and it's supposed to keep the gasoline from uh, oxidizing, which it does do, as long as whatever it's in isn't being moved. Because after you put the when you mix stable up and you put it in there, it takes a little time for that film to form on the top of the gas. 
to say you put it in a lawnmower and it's in your garage and every couple of days you walk by it and bump it, now you're disturbing that film. So you're getting you're not getting the effect it's supposed to do anyway. That is so interesting. I thought it actually did something to the gasoline to make it last longer or to stabilize it. But all it is is oil that kind of just has a film on the top. Crazy. Yep. It has a there's a few chemicals in it that help stabilize the gas in some way, but it I can tell you I've tested it. It it works, but it doesn't. All right. So so Avgas is keeping around, it would be worth using, but So Avgas is good. And it's good for your engine, so it sounds like it's a pretty good um, gasoline. I mean, that's what they used back in the day, you said, like in the 50s or 60s. So how about I fill up my gas tank in my car with Avgas? Would that work? It would run the car, but it would have, have problems with the lead with all your new uh, emission stuff. All your catalytic converters would probably get plugged up. Oh. So I wouldn't recommend putting it in your car. Oh, because run the old muscle cars. Yeah. They love to have gas. Oh, Race okay. car engines, anything you want high octane for. So, so in other words, a, a car, in other words, an engine that still has a carburetor. Yeah, if it's carbureted with no, you know, catalytic converters, you run open exhaust, runs perfect in it. Gotcha. So there's a couple companies out now selling. Uh, one of the biggest ones is a company called True Fuel. You can buy quart cans of fuel at Lowe's and all your you know, home improvement stores a pre-mixed two-stroke fuel and they also sell gallon containers of both the, the pre-mixed two-stroke and four-stroke fuel now and basically what true fuel is is ab gas without the lead it's pure white gasoline which he says the coleman gas that you can get at walmart too right yeah interesting okay so so for my car a new car that's like 2019 2020 cars um what gas would be the best for just a, a gas that you can get at a pump right now or the or the ethanol free or what would be the best uh, most cars now have the fuel tanks and fuel systems because of fuel injection are all set up with plastic lines plastic tanks uh, most cars these days are actually built to run e85 so if your car is actually capable of running e85 you have no problem with any ethanol in there at all it's not going to cause an issue with the car cars that are 15 20 years old i'd probably say stick with with the non-ethanol if you can do it you, know, you tend to pay a little bit more for the non-ethanol fuel but that will take care of your motor and keep it going a lot longer than than the stuff that we have right now right oh yeah same with you know i'm a i i use the cheap gas in my my daily drivers okay. i only have a few gas vehicles most of mine are diesel but what i do drive gas in is at least once a month, I'll let the tank get really low, and I'll put half or a quarter tank of 93 in it. 93 with ethanol or without ethanol? Well, with ethanol is all we can have to get around here in 93, but just to clean it out. It tends to, they have a little bit more cleaners in the, the higher grade fuel. Okay, so 93 octane with the ethanol is good to run once a month to clean out your daily driver? Clean, yep, clean the fuel injectors out, just. You know, I, I do it when I notice the vehicle starting to like not have as much pep as normal. I'll put a little high test in it. Maybe throw a can of octane boost in there and run it. Cleans them right out. Huh, okay. Really? You know, I've, got, I've got a lot of engines people bring to me or lawnmowers ain't running right. I'll pull them apart, look at the fuel tank, make sure it ain't too crudded up. I'll fill it full of av gas and run it. Okay. A lot of times it just comes back to life. So since you do a lot of 
work on two strokes and lawnmowers and stuff like that. You've been doing this for years and you've also been working with, uh, you know, antique cars and stuff. When it comes to paramotors, what do you recommend as the number one fuel? Do you recommend Avgas? Yeah, I, I highly recommend Avgas. And what will that do for us instead of running 93 uh, ethanol free? Yeah, one, one thing I like to understand with, with gasolines, the higher the octane reading, the less explosive the gas is. Right. So the, the less chance of detonation. So when you, have, when you have compression, when you have heat in the cylinder, it can actually ignite before the spark plug goes off. Uh, that's always an issue when you get the high high performance engines, race engines, supercharged, turbocharged. But also in two strokes, if you're running an air cooled engine that gets pretty hot, you could start getting detonation, which would actually tear your engine apart. And how 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 can we tell if that happened? I know that we can look at the spark plug. Now, what's the spark plug colors that we need to look for? I know that there's black and brown and stuff like that. What are the spark plug colors, and what does that mean? I, I like a, a brownish color. That's you know, you're getting your oil in there, but you're burning oil off. You start seeing a really black plug. You're probably running a little too much oil, or you got your fuel too rich, and it'll carbon up and quit on you pretty fast. Uh, when you're running. The one thing you're going to notice if you're running the aviation gas, there is the lead deposit you'll get there. So you'll get a little bit of a whitish look on your insulator plug and on your plug. It brushes off real easy with a wire brush. That was the one big thing everybody was saying, well, the avgas you know, is dirty because of the lead, and it's not. That's a lubricant. It doesn't hurt the engine or anything. And you're going to be pulling your heads every 100 hours or 150 hours anyway to do your maintenance. You'll be cleaning off a little bit, you know, a little bit more of a deposit. But instead of the dark carbon, you're going to get more of a white, you know, crusty stuff on there. So if Avgas has lead and lead is a lubricant, would you want to uh, change your um, two-stroke fuel ratio, oil ratio? No, I wouldn't change it to their oil ratio at all. I mean, they're running them really, really, really lean on oil these days anyway, mainly due to the synthetics. That's, that's why I really I like the Amsoil products. I've been using them for years. Uh, their Sabre oil is, seems to be the best I've found so far. Okay, and then when somebody says that your engine is running lean, what does that mean? Not enough fuel, too much air. You need to add a little bit more fuel to it. You know, lean conditions can tend to make the motor run hot. You're going to lose power, and you're going to possibly burn a hole in your piston or your head. Okay, and if you're running rich, what does that mean? Too much fuel. You're not getting proper combustion. You'll start seeing lower engine temperatures if you're too you're too rich. You also uh, tend to foul plugs up real easily. Okay. You're going you're to lose power. So losing power, that'd be like loss of RPMs? Yes, loss of RPM, loss of total power. Um. Would you recommend having a uh, temperature gauge for your um, head? Yes, head temperature gauge will tell you a lot. And what what do you look at when you look at the head temperature gauge? I mean, I mean, what do you I mean, what do you look for? You look for a certain temperature, a range. Um, does it heat up? Does it cool down? I mean, what 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 would you look for? I mean, let's say I got one. What am I looking for uh, as far as the numbers then? And what does it mean? Well, I, I usually look like when I start my engine up, you know, the manufacturer will tell you what the head temperature should be under normal operation. 
I know they'll give you a bracketed range not to exceed. You kind of want to keep that in your mind. If it tells you don't exceed 400 degrees, you know, if you see it running 420, you might want to back out of the power a little bit. Gotcha. And then maybe when you get on the ground, you retune to make sure something's not right at that point. <laughs> but the nice thing is with the temperature gauge, you can start your motor and warm it up. And I usually wait till I have like 180, 190 on it before I even start throttling the motor up. I like to get it warm before I start really winding it up. You think that um, helps with the uh, the cracking of the pipes? exhaust i think it'll help a little bit it'll definitely help on wear of an engine you, know, you should always warm an engine up before you start running at a full power it's not good to take a cold engine that's maybe you know 50 60 degrees fire it up and just go wide open throttle on it i know that i know i stress on it i know i do that with chainsaws so you think i should warm up my chainsaw before i go full throttle yeah most of them you should warm up you know, usually when you set the choke on a chainsaw it actually tips the throttle open a little bit so it runs at a high idle that's usually where you want to run it for the first minute or two, just to get it up a temperature, and then maybe just flip the throttle a little bit just to keep it running. But don't, yeah, don't pull it, start it up, and just run it wide open right away. Okay, so the engine. so so like um, for a lawnmower, then you probably want to let it run for a little bit before you go full throttle. Yeah, if if your lawnmower has that capability, a lot of lawnmowers these days are pretty much an auto set throttle. You start them, they run up to their their rated RPM and stay there. Okay. But these days, they don't build engines to last. These lawnmowers today are disposable. It really seems like it. I mean, when you can get a whole... It's a shame. I mean, yeah, when you can get a whole, uh, you know, um, push-start lawnmower from Walmart for 99 bucks, it, you just can't beat that. Yeah, a lot of these companies that were good back in the day, Briggs and & Stratton and Tecumseh and all them, they're all built in China these days. They're not built like they used to be. Exactly. So that's why I collect the antiques. I actually have a 1969 Cub Cadet tractor with a cast iron Kohler in it that has thousands of hours on it, and I still run it. It's my daily mower. But when I started up, I put the choke on. I set the throttle, you know, low idle, start it up, bring up the mid-throttle, take the choke off, and I let it warm up before I even run it. Yeah, that's interesting. And then when I'm done, I bring it down to a low idle and let it cool down before I turn it off. Interesting. By letting the heat get out of the motor, you don't have the issues of things breaking down. On on the um, back to the eighty seven ninety three octane ratings and and even Avgas, you said that you got a motor that, or you have seen, or you know how the gas actually burns through and what it does to your piston and your spark plug. Can you go through that real quick and kind of let us know? You know, if you're running 87 octane, what is it doing to your engine, to your spark plug, opposed to the 93 and the Avgas? I know that we talked a little bit about that yesterday. I thought that was pretty intriguing. When you start getting into, like, the lower octane, 87 octane, it's a fairly high explosive level to it. So when you start getting the engine up, you know, higher compressions, which these two strokes are fairly high compression engines, and you start getting higher temperatures in there, and especially this really equates on a two-stroke, when you... When your head starts getting carboned up, that carbon will actually start glowing orange and, and burning a little bit. So now when the piston comes up with a charge of fuel, before you hit top dead center on the compression stroke and before the spark plug fires, that glowing ember could actually cause detonation and cause the fuel to burn before it's supposed to, which will cause lack of power. You'll hear Sometimes you'll hear a knocking noise you know, because these things are right behind our head and you got the prop noise you're not as likely to hear that detonation. 
but it's more likely it's still there. So that, that's what, what tends to wreak havoc on engine components. Now, when it comes to the two-stroke oils out there, what's the difference between, like, you know, Walmart, you know, full, full synthetic two-stroke and maybe K2 and Sabre? What, what's the difference between, you know, these uh, two-stroke um, oils? I mean, is there really a difference? And why would you want to go with Sabre opposed to, you know, Walmart brand? I just, one, I, I trust a company that's, pretty much cutting edge on their, their oil technologies. You know, Amsoil tests all their oils. They have really good, you know, quality control. I'm not sure who's making the, the Walmart brand, but you can pretty much guarantee, you know, you know Walmart goes in and they want $10 a quart quart, and Walmart says, oh, we're only going to give you five. That manufacturer is going to find a way to get it at that price point to sell it to Walmart. Gotcha. So I, my, my big fear in that, and I've seen it in the, in the motor oils is, you know, a lot of their oils they sell are re-refined oils. You know, there can still be particulates in it. There's not as good a quality. As when you're going with, you know, Amsoil Saver and some of these higher-end brands, they're testing the oil. And they're guaranteeing you that you're getting a quality oil. And it's the old adage, you get what you pay for. Exactly. Let's say that, let's say that I um, ran out of my K2 or my Saber, and there's nothing without ethanol. And the only thing I can get is that two-stroke Walmart brand, full full synthetic. If I ran that, what would be the best octane ratio, and how long or how much gas would you put it through there before you go back to uh, to your normal av gas with your saber? I would use it in a pinch if I had to, and I would probably use eighty-nine octane just to keep the octane rating up a little bit versus you know the the eighty-seven. And you tend to get, again, you tend to get a little bit better gas, I think, when you get the higher octane stuff. You're not getting as much of the trash put in it. But I would only run it for, you know, what you had to to get back. And say you're out of the fly and you couldn't get any av gas, run it for the time you have. But I'd be thinking when I got home, that, that stuff would be getting dumped out, some fresh av gas and good two-stroke put in it. And I'd be running it right away just to get it all through the fuel system. Okay. Well, uh, well, that makes really a lot of sense. I mean, we, we put a lot of money into our motors and, and uh, we, you know, putting in cheap gas and cheap oil just doesn't make sense when you have such a huge, you know, um, monetary chunk that you're putting down on this motor. I mean, you know, I put a lot of money on this new My 19 and I honestly can't imagine putting in cheap gas or cheap oil, which is why I bought a, a gallon of the Sabre and I want to go to Av, you know, get Avgas. Now, on that note, um, I know that we talked about the Royal King, and there's a fuel tank that you can get there for like twenty bucks. And you know, how does that work? And let's say that I do want to go to get some Avgas. How do I go about doing that? Yeah, most of your local county airports, uh, you can go right to the airport manager, tell me you need to buy Avgas. Uh, a lot of the ones I got local around here. They have a fuel island right there on the airfield. You can walk up to your fuel jug. You put your credit card in them. You know, there's a the side where the fuel pump should have to be a little island there. That you'll put your credit card in and your information, how many gallons you want to purchase. And it tells you what pump you want to select. You select the proper pump. You go over, you pull the nozzle off, and you fill up your jug. What jug, what jug would you recommend 
I know that we talked about that Roll King and there's jugs there for 20 bucks. Could you tell me about that? That It's like a tractor supply. Mm-hmm. They're almost the same idea. They're, Roll King's pretty much the Walmart of tractor supply. They, they carry everything you could possibly imagine. And they started the past few years selling what's basically the same jugs you can buy from uh, like Jags or uh, Summit Racing, you know, the $50 fuel jugs. You can get them there for $20. And you, and, said, they have them in, and you said they're called like uh, farm fuel or farm liquid or what was it? They, they were calling them uh, universal farm jugs. They, they marked and put grain and, you know, tractor fluids, hydraulic oil. The only reason they do that is because they have a real vent on them, unlike all gas jugs you buy today, they can't legally sell them as gasoline containers. Even though they come in the clear one, which I like for avgas you can see your how much fuel's in there they have the red one for regular gasoline they have the yellow one for diesel fuel it's you know the only difference between those ones and the ones you buy through jags or summit racing is the price i'm pretty sure they're made by the same manufacturer because the, the lids even fit each other well that's cool and i heard just recently because my friend had this a shake fuel line what is that and how does that work your fuel you bounce it up and down to the fuel starts flowing through the tube so rather than having to start a siphon by sucking on it you just bounce the line in there you know the everybody calls them the jigglers ah jigglers there we go jigglers jigglers and those uh you can get you can build your own you can buy them on amazon you can buy them at uh harbor freight even oh harbor freight has them yes the the jigglers that, mm-hmm. not not the uh not the fuel tank thing yeah, just the, the jiggler hoses. The thing I, I have against the Harbor Freight ones, they're nice, but the ones I've been selling recently, they're a bigger diameter tubing. I think it's a half-inch inside diameter. So you get a lot of fuel flow with it. So it's, it's such a large hose. If you're trying to refuel a small weed eater or a little lawnmower engine, you get a little too much flow out of those. Uh, so the smaller ones are nicer for that. They have a quarter-inch or uh, three-eighths hose on some of them. So it's not good for your lawnmower or weed eater, but it'd be good for a paramotor? Yeah, I mean, you're filling, what, a, almost a four-gallon tank on the paramotor, so you're not really worried about a, a massive blow. And basically, what I always do, I set my fuel jug a little bit above the, the fuel level of my paramotor, put the jiggler in there, bounce it a little bit, get the flow going. When you get to where you want to stop it, lift it out of your fuel jug, and it'll clear the line out for you. And a lot of guys, if, you, if you're smart... You carry one of these, that's why I like the little 3 8 you know, jiggler hose. You carry a little three or four foot one of those in your paramotor. So if you're out somewhere and you run out of fuel or one of your buddies runs out of fuel, you can stick it in your motor and transfer fuel to theirs. Oh, I like that. It's a nice little accessory to carry. They, they weigh all, you get the, the, the 3 8 hose, a four foot piece of that with a little jigger in the end of it weighs, you know, ounces. You can wind it up, nice little four or five inch round thing, stick it in your side bag of your paramotor, and you have a way to refuel each other. Man, I like that. Nice little merch accessory. I I dig it. That that's pretty cool. I hope that um, that that helps out a lot of people when it comes to um, gas and two stroke oil and fuel tanks and and jiggler lines, shake fuel lines. 
Um, another thing that we talked about yesterday, which was very interesting, is the um, ADSB receivers. And I've been looking around for that. Matter of fact, when I did a uh, an interview with Jeff Goen, we talked about that briefly, or maybe even more than briefly. And there's some places that you can get them, and he's been looking at them. Now, you say that there is a little dongle that you can get and an app for your phone, and you're only talking about 60 bucks, and you have a ADS receiver? Yes, actually under that. You can you can get some of the dongles for about $23 with the antenna. What, and what they are is a, uh, we call an SDR. It's a software-defined radio. They were actually... TV tuner cards built to pick up off-the-air TV on your laptop. And they're just not much bigger than a thumb drive. they got a little antenna connector on them. And guys have figured out that the actual tuner chip that's in there is a universal tuner that's pretty much DC to daylight to so picks up multiples of frequencies. Uh, you can set them to pick up the frequency of ADSB. And guys have wrote apps to use on Android, and I'm pretty sure they have them for iPhone now where you can plug this dong one with an OTG cable into your phone and receive live ADSB on your phone. So if you go to like FlightAware or something like that, you're a minute or two delay of what you're seeing. If you have an ADSB receiver on you, you can actually plug in and look at real live data. And all aircraft flying are transmitting ADSB data out. So if there's anything in the air anywhere near you, you're going to see it. You can look at their tracks, see their altitude, speed, everything. Now, I, I got to remember that, you know, when I first started paramotors, when I was a newbie, a lot of things didn't make sense because I didn't understand what they were. And so I'm trying to, when I'm doing these podcasts, remember, you know, what, what it's like to be a newbie. Um, Nick, what does ADSB mean? And what's the difference between the um, ADSB receiver and transmitter? The ADSB is uh, automatic dependent surveillance, basically. And it used to be back in the day, you'd have a transponder aircraft that would send out a signal, and they'd give you a code that you'd squawk. And that was so radar could differentiate you from anything else out there. They could see you as a radar ping, but when you were sending back that squawk code, they knew who you were. ADSB works similar to that, but it actually constantly sends out a signal every you know second or so. It's using GPS to figure your altitude, speed, and heading. And they're actually requiring all aircraft now as of this year. If you have an ADSB receiver, you can see the other aircraft out there with you. And the idea behind it, almost all aircraft now have ADSB in and out. So if you're flying along and there's an aircraft coming at you at the same altitude you are, you're heading at each other, you'll get a warning that you're about to collide. So you can actually see everything else in the air with you. So this would be really good for airplanes but how about as far as paramotors and how would that work as far as you know um getting to this to where we could see this as paramotors and we could warn other aircraft around that we're up in the air how would that work now, there's a couple companies that are actually uh, uvionics is one of the ones that jeff Boyne was talking about that makes a adsb transmitter for drones that are going to start i think requiring here soon so that the, the, the actual drone will be having an ADSB out. These units are small enough; they're all two inch by two inch, maybe half inch thick. You could carry on the paramotor. So how much? So how much would the receiver and the uh, transmitter be for something like this? I think those transmitters were starting around fifteen to eighteen hundred dollars. 
which is, I think, way too expensive. I've been working on my own transmitter and just trying to see the legalities of uh, getting FCC-type acceptance to build a home-built or kit version, which I think would be great for the parameter community because right now, you know, $1,500, I think that's a little expensive. Yeah. For us to be strapping on our power motors, if we can get it down to the price point of a few hundred dollars for ADSB in and out, it would be great. Yeah, I hear fifteen hundred dollars, and I'm like, oh, that sounds like a a, guy, a, a a nice used wing. Mm-hmm. But if you're flying in, you know, heavy airspace, I think having a receiver on you is a nice thing. Because maybe you happen to look out and you think you've seen a plane out there, but you're not sure. You could look down at your flight deck if you had ADSB receive running, and you could see what you thought might be out there. Or if you do see a plane, you can see what it is, where it's, what his heading is, everything, his altitude. And if you're looking at your altitude, you can kind of avoid him that way. That's neat. So, so the app basically shows a map of the altitude, where it is, and all that stuff, kind of like a radar screen. Yep. Sweet. So. So sign me up. How do I go about getting one of these um, ADSB receivers? Where do I find them on the internet? Do I find them on Amazon? And where are the apps? And where are they called? How, how do I do that? Uh, the app uh, where ADSB is the one I'm running currently. Could you say it again? Slow. Could you say that again slowly? Aware ADSB is the app you run. And that's on Android. You said. Yes, that's an Android app. Uh, I have to do some research. I'm not a big Apple fan. Just the development side of Apple is just so uh, locked down by Apple that I don't deal with it. But I'm sure, pretty sure they have a way to do it on there. I do know of a way to use a Raspberry Pi with one of these dongles and make a standalone receiver that can Wi-Fi to Apple. I'm actually getting ready to put a video together on that soon. So Raspberry Pi instead of an Apple Pi? I don't know what a raspberry. I don't. I don't know what a Raspberry Pi. What is that? It's a thirty-five dollar microcomputer. It's basically a computer on a chip. Oh, okay. uh, most of the units are about the size of a, a little bigger than a credit card. Uh, power them off USB. It's actually a, they're a full computer. You can load Linux on them and use them as a as a, a PC for your house if you want to do. Holy they're okay. used a lot by us experimenters to build uh, applications. You want to control lights on your paramotor, you can use a Raspberry Pi to do so. You want to add ADSB. That's the ADSB uh, output unit I'm, I'm building. It's actually based on a Raspberry Pi to do all the computing and GPS locations. Interesting. Yeah, I'm going to put a, be putting a video together here very shortly about uh, putting together a cheap ADSB receiver that you can plug in. And I'll have the links to the dongles and everything you need to do to set it up. It's uh, Once you have the proper equipment, it's really easy. The problem is there's so many of these dongles out there that will all work, but they don't all work exactly like they should. So we've got two or three different models so far that we've tested that I'd feel safe to say, you know, I could put a video together and say, here's what you need to buy. Here's how you load the app and how you set it up. And within 15 minutes, you can have it running. All right. That sounds really awesome. Now tell us, how do we get up with you on social media, especially YouTube? And uh, y'all uh, go ahead and go there and make sure that you subscribe to his YouTube channel because when he starts putting this stuff up, uh, these dongles, this uh, these apps and stuff are going to fly off the Amazon shelves and stuff like that. So make sure you subscribe to Nick. Nick, how do we get to you on, uh, on YouTube? 
On YouTube, it would be under KC8ORW, which is my call sign. Okay, one one more time, really slow. KC8ORW. Okay. If you just do a search on that, you'll find my channel. Uh, and you can also email me at KC8ORW at Outlook.com. I, haven't, I don't think I've heard of Outlook.com uh, email address in a long time. That, that's my easy one. The other one I have is, uh, is KC8ORW the number two at gmail.com uh, both of which come right to me i think i i think i still have an america online email address but you know i don't i don't use that and i think i still have a myspace but i don't go there either <laughs> I, I think i still have one of those somewhere i i, I can't remember last time i was on that at all that, that was the old you know teenage days you know from myspace to my place yeah exactly exactly so um, that was really interesting. Um, one more thing that I'd like to go over. It's one of the things that we talked about before we started this podcast. Windsocks, socks, flag poles, streamers, um, the portable type, the fishing poles, how to, how to stick them in the, the ground and even the flag pole, uh, the tire flag pole stands. What do you know about these? What would you recommend and what do you have? drive-on mounts for antenna poles are great uh-huh. uh, there's a lot of commercial available ones out there there's if you're handy at all with welding or bolting stuff together you can build your own uh, a lot cheaper right a little bit of scrap steel on a welder you won't believe what you can make uh, same with even ground stakes uh there's a lot of nice ones you can buy now they're like a, a coil spring almost about a quarter inch diameter steel coiled up with a probe in the bottom that's what i it's got, got from walmart metal, metal yeah cup. Yeah. yeah, you can buy them at Walmart. I think they're 10 or 15 bucks. You yeah. screw them into the ground. Uh, those I really like. One, you screw them into the ground. and Part of that spring screws in and gives you stability. The other part of the spring sticking out of the ground lets it flex a little bit. So if you yeah. do get really high winds, your pole can kind of move a little bit with it. So if you got you know a really big wind sock on there, chances are you're not going to break your pole. It's going to lean over with the wind. And if, it, if you're in that type of wind where it could break your pole, you probably shouldn't be out there flying. But you probably should be watching the wind. You know, if you're out there and you, you see your windsocks out straight, next thing you know you see the, the windsock out straight, but your pole's at a 45-degree angle, I wouldn't pull the wing up. <laughs> no. <laughs> no way. I wouldn't even let uh, open the wing bag because it might jump out of there on you. So you use a windsock or do you use streamers or what do you use? I like both. Uh, windsocks are good from uh, in a range, okay? You know, windsock might be good from 4 to 10 mile an hour. It's to show you a range there. Right. If you really want to see micro changes, little pieces of kite ribbon or pieces of surveyor tape and on the end of your uh, end of a pole will really show you a lot more, a little more subtleties of it. And they call that flagging tape or flagger tape? Isn't yeah, that... flagger tape, survey tape, yeah. uh, a lot of guys like to buy, because it lasts a lot longer, if you're building something you're going to take out all the time, is uh, like kite tails. You can get the, 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 the parachute material, you know, inch to inch and a half wide. Some's only half inch wide. It's, you know, streamers. You can cut them and do different lengths. And it's always good to have, you know, three or four of those on a pole. I got then you. you can see the longer lengths, the longer the length is, the more wind's going to take to make it stand out straight. I got some of that flagging tape, that flaggers tape online for like 350 delivered. And it's 150 feet. 
Yeah, the thing is, you can pull out a couple, two or three foot pieces of that, tie into a stick if you had to. Exactly. Shove it in the ground. There, there you got an instant wind indicator. And you could even do that where you could have your big pole with a nice, huge windsock on it set up in the field. And then on the edges of the field, or even further in, like you do one edge leading the air to you with some a regular windsock, put a couple of your small streamer poles on either side, and then past that, put another pole or two up. Right. So now, now you can see what the wind's doing as it comes through that field. So if there's rotor going on, you can actually see that, that change. Because it might look good where you're taking off at, but, you know, 200 yards ahead of that, there could be a change in it. The cheapest thing that I've found is this flagging tape that you can get, the slider's tape. It's really inexpensive. Almost everybody will have it, you know, uh, that, that does this PPG, you know, in their truck with them, actually. Um, an old uh, uh, fishing pole that that has broken, doesn't work, you don't use it, whatever. And um, one of those coil uh, things that you can get at Walmart that you can just stick in the ground, just tie a, a couple of strips um, on the very top, the middle, and the lower part of the fishing pole, put it in, and there you go. You got yourself the cheapest uh, window meter ever. Yeah, my, my daily driver for a wind pole is actually one of the extendable uh, painting poles that I picked up at Harbor Freight on sale for like 12 bucks. Ooh, I think, think it's, about a, that. A, it's like a 10 or 12 footer, you know, three sections you slide up. Nice. I've got a home built mount that I just drive the vehicle up on. I set the pole in there. I have a little set screw on the side to, to tension it in there with. It's just a piece of, it's actually a piece I have uh, inch and a quarter muffler pipe. I drilled a hole in it. I welded a nut on there and I put a little T-bar <laughs> screw I can run in to tension things into it. I stick that pole on her, and I either stick the windsock or a few pieces of that flagging tape up, and if you're going to go out kiting, you throw that thing up real quick and go at it. That is really neat. So some of these things that we can get is I found a, um, uh extendable flag pole, a 20-foot one. Actually, I finally bought one. Apparently, I accidentally put two, so I got two of them that came in the mail. Um, a fishing pole, and you said a painter st stick? Yeah. Uh, extendable painter's pole. There you go. Another another thing that I didn't even think about until you just said that. Um, anything else that we can think of that would work for a flagpole or a window meter that's cheap? Ours. Oh, I know. Well, I know. Uh, some of those uh, flagging tape. Rod. Put a little flagging tape on your um, on your little antenna on your truck. Yeah, you're going to tie a piece of flag tape on that. Anything you have that you could tie a piece of tape to. And I found if you're really trying to look at the, the microclimate, the more you have spread out across your field, the, the more you're going to see. Exactly. And not just leading. You might want to go you know, your leading edge of your field where the wind's coming from, then go clear down the other end and put a couple small poles in. So you can see what it's doing down the other end. You might see on a, a, a day where the gusts are just changing a little bit, you might see it go one direction, and all of a sudden it changes when it hits the other side. And like this 20-foot pole, I'm going to have um, a streamer on the uh, on the top and every 10 feet down. So I'm going to see what it looks like on the ground all the way up to 20 feet. And two different poles, you know, one on you know downwind and one upwind. That way I know exactly what's going on when I'm flying and when I am landing, especially landing. Oh, that's something that we need to talk about real quick. Land, uh, Taking off and landing. We all know. Oh, let me put the mic. Take the microphone up. We all know that uh, flying, we want to go into the wind when we take off. We also know that we want to go into the wind when we land. 
one of the th things that I was having a problem with when I first started uh, PPG was landing into the wind. I don't know what it was. I would go, I'd fly over the, the um, flagpoles and over our little wind meters and our, and our wind socks and stuff like that. I would think I knew which way the wind was coming. And then I would try to go into it. I always end up being like, you know, off uh, 45 degrees or something. And uh, I, I would be going in sideways to the wind. And uh, it took a while, believe it or not, for me to figure out how to actually, fly, you know, land into the wind. Now, when I was, when I had an instructor, it was easy because he told me exactly where to go. Then when I started flying by myself, I had some issues with that. Have you had any problems uh, flying, you know, like taking off into the wind or landing into the wind? A little bit. Uh, take off pretty much when you when you pull the wing up, it's going to tell you where the wind is. Exactly. It wants to go straight towards the wind. So if the wing starts to go and wants to go straight, you know, catty corner to where you're going, run the direction the wing's going Yep. if you can. It, 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 it's the best indicator. It wants to go into the wind. If it's, if it's, if it's turning off to one side or the other, it's because the wind's not right. Right. And you have two choices, either fight it or go with it. Go with it. And if you set up, if you've set up your, your takeoff spot properly, you should be able to go with it safely. And same's coming in. Sometimes you come in and the wind changes, you'll feel it. It'll try to push the wing. A lot of times the wing will actually try to self center to the wind. Yes. And if you can, you know, if you've got a big open field and you can let the wing come to where it wants to and be happy, let the wing be happy with the wind and come in and land. Because if not, you're not going to be happy when you hit the ground. Ain't that the truth? I've been doing a lot of foot dragging, and you know, when you foot drag, you have to be really into the wind. And if you're not, you can really tell if you're not into the wind. I mean, you know, heading into the wind, but you're a little off to the right or left. The 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 paramotor will let you know. The wing will let you know you're you're not in the wind. So that's really kind of helped me get to the point where I'm able to fly into the wind, land into the wind, and do some really nice butterfly tiptoe landings. My first landings, oh my goodness, it was crazy. I, I would butt land, I would turtle, I would uh, lift my feet up too quickly and, and drag a, a, do a cage drag. Yeah, that was, that was crazy. But now, but now six months later and, and many hours under my belt, um, I, I look like um, I've done it once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> one, one of the things that was brought up on the, the show the other night, and I want to get with Keith and see about doing a video on making them. He was talking about using uh, like cray paper as streamers. Yeah. And you basically take a penny or a, a couple little washers and glue it to it, and you wind it up. He was carrying them in little 35 millimeter film cans in his flight deck. So if you're doing an off field landing or you just you can't get a good wind indicator on your field. You fly over and chuck one of these things out and watch it fall. It gives you a really good idea of the wind. Interesting. Tucker did one some similar like that, but he used a thousand foot roll of toilet paper. <laughs> to toilet paper is actually a fun thing to drop from the air. <laughs> it's so scarce right now. Everybody would be up in arms about that one. Oh, oh speak. Yeah. Speaking about, uh, you know, all this stuff and um, the, the coronavirus and stay at home and stuff, I live in Arkansas where we do not have a lockdown. I mean, we are not locked down. And thank goodness. I like that a lot, especially since we, you know, we're the natural state. There's a lot of, a lot of open area. And uh, they did a, you know, they compared 
us along with the other states that have not done a lockdown and uh, we actually have less coronavirus than the ones in the states that actually have locked down i've been watching a lot of that stuff on cnn it's like well there you go we should not have locked down in the first place a lot of people are inside with other people uh, bad air and you get grumpy and you know i've heard that even there's even more suicide and stuff because they're locked in the house um i personally think what's that the suicide homicide the suicide the homicide and, and domestic violence rates have gone up yeah, I heard. Exponentially, since everybody's been locked at home. I heard. And the, and the outdoor and the sunshine is supposed to kill the virus anyways and circulate the air. It's really difficult to actually, you know, contract the virus if you're outside away from people. What I don't like, and I hate that we're, I'm just going to go on the, and touch on this real quick because we're talking about, you know, being outside and flying, is that, um, you know, people are going out, you know, in an open field you know, in these lockdown states, you know, and they're trying to stay away from other people. And then police come over and arrest them because they're not in their house. And I'm an old guy. I'm, I'm 50, going to be 51 years old. And I still remember being able to fly in an airplane, you know, and get there five minutes before it takes off. Uh, go up to and talk with the pilots during flight and look out the front you know, I remember all these really awesome rights, including the right to uh, uh, to not be held, you know, without being charged. And now you can be held up to three days without being charged. It's like the rights are, are we're just losing rights left and right. And I'm a Marine Corps guy. You know, I fought in the in the Gulf War to make sure that we all kept our rights and stuff. And I'm feeling kind of upset about not being able to go out. And this whole thing that I'm talking about right now is like a lot of people are not going out and flying PPG because they're not able to. What, what do you think about all that stuff? Is that crazy to you or what? Yeah, you know, I think it's, it's just totally crazy. I, I mean, mean, you're not an old man or anything, but, you know, it's, it's, I think it's crazy to a lot of people. I, I think it's, it's, to me, it's the best social distancing you can get. Exactly. You can't get within 10 to 12 foot of each other when we're flying a paramotor. Exactly. It's exactly. impossible. If you do, you're going to go down. Yeah. I mean, right, right in the clean air, we're not hurting anybody. You know, there's, there's been a big thing recently about, you know, fly or not to fly, whether you should do it, because if you have a crash, you'd be taking up hospital beds. And I can see, yeah, if you're in New York where the hospitals are over jammed, yeah, you probably shouldn't be doing any risky activities. But really, it's not that risky of an activity if you know what you're doing you're better off to be flying. It's a perishable skill. If you go without doing it, you're actually more dangerous when you go back to it. I, I agree. And I, if you I, continue to fly every day, I mean. We have hospitals over here, and um, I've driven by the hospitals, and the parking lots are almost empty. There's no one there. There's no big long lines. You know, um, it, it's not it's not what you see on TV, which is really weird. You turn on CNN and you see everybody backed up and uh, piles of bodies and things like that. And in real life, you go and check them out. And there's like, there's nothing going on. Well, at least over here in the natural state, there's just nothing going on. We're not even locked down. I don't, I don't get it. I hope that I hope the country can get back to normal because, you know, with the loss of jobs and, um, you know, not making money and stuff, it's been more of a financial crisis than a um, COVID crisis. Yeah, it's been a total financial burden on people. Like I'm lucky enough. I live in Ohio, but right on the, the, the border of Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania. When all this lockdown started, Pennsylvania, their governor locked down major 
shut everything down, including the liquor stores and alcohol distributors. And the first thing that started happening was people coming into West Virginia and into Ohio to buy their alcohol. Yep. And then within, you know, two weeks of that going on, West Virginia passed the thing that you had to have a West Virginia driver's license to buy any liquor or alcohol in their state. Ohio followed suit with it in every county that borders Pennsylvania. I was just in Pennsylvania last week, you know, because the stores that are open, homebrew stores, stuff like that, they started last week. It's mandatory. You have to wear a mask to go in any store. So everybody's you know, running around with masks on that may or may not prevent anything. Yeah, unfortunately, we really won't know what's going on. I just found out, too, that there's uh, new studies that, um, you know, this has been going on since December. They see they have antibodies, you know, from, from people that they found that uh, people have had this back in early January. And that's one of the things that I was telling people. It's like, I believe that I had this because I had the worst flu ever come like January 1st or 2nd. That lasted three freaking weeks. Pretty much exactly, if not four weeks, it took forever to get over this stuff. I mean, a lot of my friends were talking about the same thing. It's like, we never had this cough and this type of flu before. I bet you anything that this has been around since uh, December or if not even November in the United States. Yeah, I, I believe it's been around for a while. And it's one thing it gets to me also in this is like, I'm in the HVAC industry. I work on furnaces for a living, mainly commercial, but I've done residential. And you see all these people running around with masks and worried about all the dust and dirt and everything in the air. You go to their house, you pull the furnace filter out, you find, you know, half a cat worth of fur stuck to it. <laughs> yep. and it's like, yeah, you're wearing a mask, but here's, here's the air you're breathing in your house. You know, they don't believe it. You, know, you should change your filter you know, every month with a, a good quality filter. If people would actually do that, the, the amount of energy savings and equipment savings, plus saving your life from all the dirt and dust. Yep. It just gets me, and, they, and people complain always. Oh, you know, a couple dollars extra for a good filter. It's a few extra dollars, but the, the amount you save not only in energy, but in all the, the medical bills and breathing the dust amidst this virus, you know, having all that in the air. It's like you're so worried about you. You walk out of your house, you want to have a mask on, but you go in your house, it's closed up, no air movement, and you have dust particles in the air that you wouldn't believe. And that's what infuriates me too right now. All these people that are locked in their house would probably be better off if they were outside. You know that back in the 1918s when they had that the big pandemic, the big flu thing, is that they had outdoor um, hospitals and they and had more people were outside and that's what actually helped was um, you know back then is that they had outdoor activities. You know they said stay outdoors, don't go indoors because it was easy to contract. And this time with this pandemic, it seems like they, they are wanting us to all be indoors and, uh, you know, be sick. I just don't understand this. And I really hope in hindsight, I hope in six months we look back and go, oh, well, we should have done this instead. And it was already here since last year and we did not need to lock down everything. Um, I sure, my heart goes out to everybody that has been affected by this. I still got one person um, that I know personally that's uh, in the hospital on a vent because of this, you know, and, and probably four or five people that actually know that have the coronavirus. But, you know, if there are a lot of people that have the antibodies, then it's already been around and we should never have locked down like this. I mean, we're crippling the whole world. Yeah, it, just, it keeps getting worse every day, too. And it's like, you look at some of the deaths they attribute, and I see all the memes on Facebook, which is funny as hell. 
because it don't matter how you died, they attribute to the COVID-19 so they can boost their numbers up better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at all the people that, that could have died back in November, December, January when, you know, when this actually started. You know, what was it? You know, just the respiratory um, infection that they died from? No, no uh, you know, pneumonia that they died from? You know, once they tallyate, you know, all of the numbers realistically, it's, it's going to be like, why, why the hell did we do this? Why did we destroy our economy? Yeah, look at all the people that die from, you know, heroin overdoses and all these other drugs out there yeah. every year. And I bet you the numbers are higher than there has been with the COVID so far. Well, unfortunately, we will not know for months, if not years, what really, really happened and what, you know, where it really came from. Um, they've, I've even heard and, and, you know, saw stuff where a uh, majority of the people in New York right now that have it did not come from China. It came from uh, Europe and other parts of the United States because they can track the, the mutations. I, I, hold, I totally believe it oriented in China. And it got, yeah, it got into Europe and other countries first. But, yeah, people travel. And that's why I got over here. And, then, you know, you can figure it's going to go into New York. Look how many people are there per square meter I know. compared to anywhere else on Earth. I mean, they're literally standing on top of each other there. Yeah, they said it came from Europe, though, and not from China. That That's the strain that they got in Europe right, or in uh, New York right now. And yeah, well, it probably went from China to Europe and then got its way into New York. Probably. Because where's everybody come into? Probably. What's the most visited place in the U.S.? I would love to get an antibody test to see if I actually have the antibodies, if that was the coronavirus back in December, January when I got sick. That would be really scary. interesting. Now they're, show, they're showing it. They're, they're finding it in house pets now. It's mutated where it's getting into cats and everything else. Well, when they said that it was already in, what, a lion, you know, and in, in, uh, back... Yeah, there's one zoo that quite a few animals were infected in, and they just there was a thing, a report I seen this morning that... Uh, they found it in some cats. And yeah. Like, so what? Are people going to start, you know, killing their, their dogs and cats and stuff now because they're afraid that they have the coronavirus like they did back in 19, uh, 1918? They killed all the freaking dogs and cats back then because they were scared to death that they were getting the uh, the flu from them. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, they need to find out where it come from. And they've been, they've been working on some, I was watching some videos on some tests they were doing where they're taking plasma from people that had the virus yeah, and had antibodies in it and infusing that plasma into patients as a cure. Exactly. And that's actually looking pretty promising. I mean. But yeah, yeah, so they're doing that, and they found that the, the, uh, the antibodies that they've had, they've had since January. So they actually had the COVID-19 December and January and got over it. That's where this is coming from. That that's how they're finding out that it's been here since December, January. Yeah, it, it's been around a lot longer, and they're they're letting on. And I think that you know, it's only a, a minute group of people that are susceptible to it. You know, people that are susceptible to you know respiratory illness to begin with. You know, ones that are already sick, I think, take more of a hit than someone that was already you know healthy. I hope that they open up the uh, the country and the world. I mean, this is such a financial devastation. Um, 
for a lot of families that I know, and I hate not being able to go and uh, hug my mom and stuff like this too. Uh, I hope they figure out what the hell is going on. Today is April 23rd, 2020. And uh, this has been a really good PPG and a couple of minutes of what's going on in the real world right now, which is the coronavirus and what we think of it. And hopefully in uh, May and June, you know, the country will be open and, you know, trying to recover. Um, hey, I heard that you that you got a new job. Yes, I'm supposed to be starting a new job with uh, city uh, management solutions. It's a HVAC slash refrigeration company that does all the Walmarts in the country. Oh, congratulations, man. It's been, you know, a, a long, you know, I had to do a bunch of testing with them, and it's been a long, you know, hurry up and wait ride with them. I'm waiting to see what the, what goes on with all that. Well, I think a lot of it's because everything's shut down in the country. Right. Well, congratulations on your new job. Hopefully everything pulls through. Hopefully our country, you know, rebounds and and uh, does an amazing rebound and we get back to, you know, who we are and uh, people stop getting arrested for being outside, which sounds absolutely awful. And drones, you know, roaming around trying to find people that are outside and, and arresting them. And freaking people are, are telling, uh, you know, narc on your on your neighbors and stuff if they are, you know, out and about having a good time and they're not inside, which really sucks. It's like, I, I don't even know what country I'm in when I hear this crap. But um, anyways. Which senator it was that did that, but I heard there was a uh, a website put up. They were supposed to narc on each other if you caught people outside, and I guess it backfired on him. People were sending everything but those pictures to him. Yeah, it was um, it was New York, and he's the one that went to uh, to the after he did a lockdown. He's the one that was caught at the gym, and then when they said, "So uh, why did you go to the gym?" He goes, "Well, I feel better when I go to the gym." So when there was a lockdown, he was the one that broke the lockdown to go to the gym, and and he and that's the pictures and stuff that people are sending him saying, "Well, you're the one that did this in the first place. I'm not going to narc on my neighbor." It wasn't just him. It was a bunch of the, the, the high-end political figures that were caught yeah. doing everything they're told us not to do. Exactly. So either they know something, like it's not really that bad, and it's just a power grab right now, or, you know, they just don't care about themselves or other people. I don't know what it is, but like I said, you know, the more and more stuff that, that is going on, the more and more stuff that we're hearing about, that I'm hearing about, sounds like it's been here. It's it's already run a majority of its course and we're hitting the tail end here and then locking down the country thinking that it was, you know, the first part. And if we find out that it's been here since, you know, December, January, we need to open up everything and, and get this country up and running and get our asses out there and do some PPG, you know, and get pilots back out there and, and, uh, and start enjoying life again. You know, the, the Constitution, pursuit of freaking happiness, right? Yep, pursuit of flight. Exactly. I mean. Two things you need when you're out there, actually three, fresh air, UV light, which kills the virus, right? You know, vitamin D coming from the sun, which is good for your body. Being locked inside without those is not a good alternative to what's going on. And that's exactly what the studies are. You need to be outside and, and getting fresh air, not locked in their house, in stale air. People understood, you know, what they call sick house syndrome or sick building syndrome. Yep. They would want to have their windows open and be outside. Oh, and look at black mold that could be behind your wall and you don't even know it getting sick. Mm-hmm. And that's a respiratory disease from hell. And with all the moisture.
we've had recently, at least this side of the country. Yep. You know, the flooding they've had. You know, it, it, it really bothered me when they had, you know, all the tornadoes going through down south the past few weeks. Yep. Everybody's locked down. Shelters are closed. Usually people that live in mobile homes go to these shelters. They weren't opening the shelters because of it, because of the whole social distancing. Yeah. You're trying to tell me it's better to social distance and have a bunch of people on Trader Park get killed rather than having them get in a, a shelter where they might be safe? Yep. Yeah, a lot of these things, the the more you step back, the more these things go on, the more you have to look back and go, what the hell's going on? I mean, look at all these people right now that are that are doing these protests um, about getting back to work and opening up the country. I mean, you know, we didn't, when this first started, we thought that, you know, staying in home, uh, sheltering in place was going to help save millions of people. We were all about it. Everyone was. We were like, sure, no problem. We'll take care of it. We'll, we'll make sure that we do what's right. And now the numbers keep changing to the point that it's like, oh, well, we were wrong. It's not millions of people. It might be thousands of people. Oh, maybe it's just hundreds of people, you know. And, and it keeps on getting lower and lower. And, and these projections are, are, you know, as we're looking at them, they're, they're wrong, you know, it's not as bad as we thought it was. And, and I don't know where these people are finding these body bags, you know, people being stacked upon stacked and refrigerated stuff and, and these morgues and stuff. You know, we, there's people that are looking around for these things around the United States and doing uh, YouTube videos. It's like, look at my hospital. There's no one here. What, why do we see this stuff on Fox and CNN and we don't see it in real life? What's really going on? And uh, also, when this first started, I, co- I come back from Palm Bay right when they were starting to do the lockdown. In fact, yeah. the, the weekend that we were in Palm Bay for the fly in was the weekend they closed Disney World. And let me tell you, it was a trip. I wish I had shot more video of it. When I drove through Orlando in front of Disney World, seeing like all the parking lots there that are normally packed, empty, you know, driving down the interstate three o'clock in the afternoon doing 70 plus mile an hour with no traffic is unheard of there. And then I come home and I literally, I, first week I was here, I had to get some groceries, and I, I made a point to take the camera with me and show people what, how the craziness was in the stores. No meat, no flour, no canned food was gone. Toilet paper had been gone for a week. You know, I don't understand what the run with toilet paper was. I, nobody knows. I mean, everybody that we talk about, nobody understands why the toilet paper disappeared. Nobody. You know, I, I could see when they were talking about, you know, because that was right when they were saying they're going to lock our state down. Everybody bought up every bit of food they could, and like, it looked like the store was going out of business. No. And you couldn't find any uh, uh, any freezers either, deep freezers and sanit freezers. They all disappeared. Oh, yeah. And now now meat's on the on the, the hit again because of all these facilities that are breaking out with the virus and their workers are shutting down. So beef's going to get scarce again. Chicken's going to – Tyson's shutting down all their plants. Chicken's going to go outrageous. I'm lucky enough to live in a farming community. I got a butcher literally five houses from me, and he's running like crazy. Well, I know that we've been complaining about this, but you know our hearts do go out to everybody affected by the COVID-19. Um, everything from being sick, and uh, all of our good workers out there in the hospitals that are taking care of us, doctors and nurses. We do appreciate you. We're not knocking anybody. Um, we just want to know the truth. We want to get back to work and we, you know, we're, we're tired of being stuck inside just like you are. You know, we want to be outside and we don't like when we see our neighbors go outside and get arrested by police because they're outside and that is the only thing they're doing. They're not 
doing anything. You know what really sucks is, um, you know, uh, these places are letting all these people out of prison, okay? They're letting these people out of prison because of overpopulation and just, you know, they shouldn't be in prison together, you know, with anybody. And then the whole general population is being locked down. And when we want to go outside and enjoy the fresh air, we get arrested. I don't like that at all. And like I said, I don't understand what the hell's going on. It's really scary, weird, and it's just not right. But anyway, enough of our 15 minute rant about this crap. But maybe we'll look back on, on this uh, podcast and go, wow, we, we hit the nail on the head or wow, we were really off. But uh, Nick, man, it was really good talking to you and uh, talking to about uh, Zello and those different channels, the Avgas and stuff like that, the different uh, type of oils we can use, the fuel tanks, the little shaker thing, the ADSB and the receivers, the different flagpoles and uh, wind socks and flagging tape that we have. Man, I really appreciate your time. We've been uh, talking for a really long time. And I think yesterday we even talked for about five hours before we even thought about, hey, maybe we should do a podcast. So thanks, man, for being on the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on there. Anytime, my friend. Have a good day, y'all. Have a good day. Leave me some comments down below. What do you think about, you know, all these things that we talked about, especially PPG? But if you do want to talk about the COVID thing, go ahead and, and let me know. Let us know what you think about it. Have a great day, and we will catch you next time. Fly safe.